We will all face giants in our lives. And the question is, is will you give in to the fears that will naturally come upon you when you are faced with that giant? Or will you trust in the promises of God, the promise of deliverance and freedom from these things? This is the question that Israel faced. They were promised something, a promised land flowing with milk and honey, beautiful. And they are excited. They're they're coming up to it. And Moses sends forth spies to look at what is this land actually now going to look like this one we've been going through the wilderness for so long. What does it look like? And they go and look and oh, the spies, they come there and they they see the beauty of the land. They see that it is truly a land flying with milk and honey. In fact, they even bring back grapes where they are carrying these grapes on a pole between two of the men. That's a lot of grapes right there. And they're they're coming and they're saying, look, guys, we they, they return to Israel. They say, look, we we've we've spied out the land. We have went through this wilderness with you all all these years. And and truly the land itself is worth it. How wonderful of a land it is a God has promised and all the people, they get excited and, and it's just wow. But then they say, but there's a big but to this. Guys, listen, there's a problem. Big problem, in fact. Even though this land is beautiful and has possibly been worth our labors through this wilderness all these years, I don't know if we should go in. And 10 of the 12 spies say we should not because there are giants in the land and we are but grasshoppers in their sight. If we go in, they will surely devour us. But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, they say, what are these guys talking about? Haven't we seen how God has delivered us before through the Red Sea, the splitting of the sea, through trials and tribulations where we didn't have food, we didn't have water, we didn't have anything, but we even saw the God delivers from that and our, or the soles of our shoes didn't even wear out. God has been good to us. How can you guys now think God will leave us? And then the people decide to listen to the bad report, the bad news that the 10 spies brought them. And this is what we all will face. We will face the giant, right? We will all face things in our lives, things that God calls us to, especially he says, go to this place, go and do that. And when we go, we get there and we're excited because this thing that he told us to do or promised us is a wonderful thing, flying with milk and honey. But when we get there, there's this unexpected giant standing right in front of it. And now, naturally, the first emotion we feel is fear and we get afraid. And this is exactly I want to submit to you that happened when God sent out his disciples into the world. And it's kind of interesting because we see that there were 
uh, in, in Israel, the 12 spies that were sent out. And of course, 12 disciples were sent out by Jesus now 1,500 years later. And these disciples are told something. They're, they're given a promise, something that's wonderful, a promise of milk and honey again. That they will go out and heal the sick, cleanse lepers, raise dead people. And this is just like, what? Like, like these are not... Imagine some random person come up to you and says, hey, I want you to raise the dead. It's kind of like, what's the first thing you're going to think? Like, wow, if I could do that, that would be amazing. If I could do that for God's kingdom, that's that's incredible. That would be. Can you imagine what would happen? This is good news. But the next thing that you're going to think is, oh, no, because how do I do this? Right. How, how do I how do I raise the dead? How do I heal the sick? How do I cleanse a leper? What if I get that leper's disease myself? How do I do these impossibilities that God told me to do? Just like God told Israel, go to this land. It sound, it looks like an impossibility given the giants that are there. Same thing. Not to mention that he tells him to cause our demons. Like that sounds really scary. I mean, demons they what if what if something happens to me what if the demons attack me you know there's there's all these these things these fears that can e so easily come in because of this instruction right and not only to mention that he even says jesus tells the disciples i want you to do these things freely freely receive it the power to do these things and I want you to freely give now these things to people. I don't want you to say, hey, give me $20 and I'll cast out your demon. No, Jesus says, I want you to give it freely. And I mean, for the most most of the logical people of this world, if they got the power to deliver people from death and many aspects of that or heal them, they would definitely take advantage financially and they would start charging because can you imagine how rich you'd get? There's all these thoughts associated. And but he says, no, you do it for free. So now the second question is, so where are we going to get money? How are we going to pay for how are we going to live if, if this is our job now, but we're not supposed to charge? So do you see the parallels here? Where we have Israel facing the giants and with you know the 12 spies, and now we have the 12 disciples just also sent out facing all these other natural fears that they would have most likely thought about. See, I want you to see something here that's very important to understand. You know, when we talk about giants, what we are really saying is these are things that we see in the natural. Okay, the giants are what we see through our flesh, like those those spies when they were sent out the 12 spies, they saw through their eyes, these giants. Okay, when when um, the disciples, you know, went out and they were trying to cast out a demon, what they were would see with their eyes is a demon 
manifesting through a person. That's that sounds really scary. It sounds crazy. Okay, so the giants are always things in our natural world, circumstances or, you know, any of the things we just talked about. And then we have the fears come and the fears come because this is from the question, really the root question of what are we going to do about this giant? Right? Or what am I going to, how am I going to cast out a demon? How am I going to heal a sick person? How am I going to raise a dead person? How am I going to enter this promised land with giants standing in the way? How is that going to work? But see, like I mentioned in the beginning of this video, the question really is, is when you're faced with a giant, are you going to choose fear? That is, what am I going to do about it? Or are you going to choose deliverance through the faith that God brings? Because, see, deliverance from the giant comes from believing that it is God who has to do this and having faith that he will. You see, when you have fear, that means you are afraid because you think that you're the one who needs to deal with this because you don't have faith in God who will. You don't believe he will. You don't think he can, whatever the case. So when you actually put faith in God and his deliverance, you are now taking the responsibility and the weight of you having to deal with this thing as a person. And you are actually trusting in God's word where he said that he will deal with it. He will fight for us. He will protect us. That's what he told Israel. Why are you afraid? I have said before and I say it again. I will fight for you. And so similarly, when he's Jesus is telling the disciples to go out into the world and do these crazy things. He is also telling them, I will be with you. Even to the end of the world, I am going to be by your side, whether it's whether me being in the flesh with you or in the form of my Holy Spirit. I am the one who does it. You see, this is not just in relation to the Great Commission, even though this is that's a massive part. It's in relation to the simple things in life. Are you going to trust his deliverance or are you going to trust in your own abilities to figure this thing out? Because when you trust in your own abilities, you will struggle. You will have so much fear and you ought to have fear because you can't figure anything out in life without God. You can't do anything. You can't even breathe. You can't, the next breath you take, you can't take without God. So, yes, you ought to fear if you think you're the one who's going to have to deal with this. But if you simply get the revelation, the knowledge and also the belief and faith, the knowledge that he will fight for you and the faith that he will fight for you and that he can. Then things change and now fear stops taking over us. But now I think that the fact that we have these parallels between uh, Yeshua, Jesus sending out the 12 and we see the 12 spies sent out, this parallel is very important, very important to, for us to, to look at because it points to the Great Commission. 
And he is, he is, he's trying to tell us something. He's trying to, God is trying to tell us that what Israel faced with the giants is similar to what you will face in the Great Commission. You will be over, you may be overcome with fear. And you could go the way of Israel who chose to rather believe the bad reports. That is, there are giants. Or you could choose to be like Joshua and Caleb, only the two out of the twelve, who said that they will rather uphold and believe the good report. The report that God says there is a beautiful thing that I am giving you here, and you need to trust in me because I am the deliverer who will give it to you. Because what happens... To, to us when we receive this instruction of the Great Commission. If he let's read it, he says here in Matthew 10, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leper, cause cause out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. OK, when we hear that, it's like like we mentioned earlier, that's like it sounds impossible. How are we going to do that? And then right after that, Jesus actually addressed a few of these natural fears that they may be feeling. And he addresses the financial aspect of it. He addresses the aspect of when they will get rejected by men. Because, like I mentioned, if you're going to have to do this, how are you going to be cared for when you have to do this freely? And he, he addresses this in Matthew 10, verse uh, 9. He says, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or stuff for the laborer deserves his food. So he's saying you don't have to worry. You don't have to prepare. You don't have to take a lot of money to try and compensate or anything like that. He says, I will care for you. I will send people who will get, provide for you, even though you don't charge for what you are doing. And he goes on and he, he says in verse 14, if anyone won't receive you or listen to you, shake off the dust from your feet and leave that house or town. Truly, I said, you'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So he is addressing here these concerns that may be in the back of their minds. And he is saying, if they don't uh, accept you, if they reject you, don't worry. Shake off the dust and leave them and go on. They're not worthy of your time. They're not worthy of your energy. And it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for them. Right? So he, 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 God is not afraid of addressing our concerns or our fears. He's not afraid of uh, saying, and he's not going to be angry if we um, have questions with regards to these things. This is why God told Israel that I will fight for you. This is why um, Jesus told his disciples, don't worry, I will provide your financial needs. Don't worry about those who reject you because I will deal with them. You just focus on those who really want to hear. So God is not at odds with our questions, but after he comes and he gives us the answer, what he expects is from us is for us to trust in what he said. Because even though Israel heard what he said, they still believed the bad report instead. But the disciples, after they heard what he said, they did not say, OK, well, but we still don't want to do this because it sounds scary. They went ahead in boldness and in power, empowered by his spirit. And they went and did the works that he instructed them to do. 
But I think it's important that to also understand that God is so good and that he understands our weaknesses. He he understands when we uh, may feel inadequate. He understands when we may feel like we uh, are, are unable to do the things that he told us to do, because let's be honest, apart from him, you are. And he even understood when his disciples felt unbelief. And, you know, when they basically were crying and, and sad when he died, you know, because they didn't really fully believe in the resurrection yet. But then when he got raised, he came to address them. Right. And one of the first things he does is he rebuked them for their unbelief. He told them, you know, why did you not believe after everything that you have seen? Why don't you believe? Okay, and that's that was a sin unto them. And it's kind of like how Israel was. Israel had doubts, even though they saw all the things that God had done for them. They had doubts. They had unbelief. But look at what Jesus does. He, he, he certainly rebukes their unbelief. He tells them, why did you not believe that I would get raised? Why, why did you have this unbelief? But then get what he does next. He says in Mark 16, verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and the hardness of heart. Because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So he's given them the instruction to go out before. Right. They they were obedient in that. But then they had this this unbelief over the resurrection, the very thing that they were supposed to be proclaiming to these people now. And he rebukes them for it. But then he says, but go out. And it's kind of like, like Yeshua, like, why are you? I mean, who in their right mind would send these guys out after they had just rejected him? They just basically rejected the truth and they didn't believe him. The fact that he would get raised, etc. And now he's using he's choosing them to go and proclaim this message. See, God understands our weaknesses. He understands when we may feel like we have unbelief. And but he says, regardless, go out into the world. And here he forgave his disciples and he told them to go out into the world and they won't be making the same mistake again. I want to submit that the, one of the biggest differences between the disciples and Israel was that the disciples, they made a mistake, right? But they learned from it. They, they're not going to go again and fall into this unbelief. They learned from it. While Israel, this is we are now far along the lines of their journey with God in the wilderness. And they have seen over and over and over and over again. God deliver them, even though they had unbelief, God forgave and delivered them. But now they're at the end and they still have unbelief. Let's read what happens here. Numbers 14, verse 40. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country, saying, Here we are. We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, Why are you now transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. Here, 
Israel, they basically said, we believe the bad report. We don't want to go in. And then God is angry at them naturally. But then that next night, they're like, oh, no, they're upset because they're now sad because they didn't. They realize their sin. And then the next day they come and they say, well, God, OK, you know what? Fine, we'll go out and we'll we'll do this. OK, we, we're going to believe now. Moses says, don't do this. Watch out because God is not with you anymore. You already chose your fate. You already said that uh, we don't want this. We don't want to go in. We don't we don't believe that God can deliver us. But then they went regardless, even against Moses' warning. And because of that, many of them failed. They died. Many died They when they came up against the giants because God was not there to deliver them. They now actually try to do it on their own. It's kind of funny because before they had fear because they believed that they had to do this on their own. They had to defeat the giants on their own. They didn't believe that God would come through for them. And now suddenly they believe they want to believe that they can overcome the giants. Even though Moses says God is not with you, they still think, OK, well, now we can try and do it alone. They're in both cases trying to do it alone. They're both cases trying to do it without God. And God is making the point and saying, you cannot do this without me. And I think that this is key for us to understand in our lives that we cannot do anything without God. And even especially these instructions that he gave us to do with regards to what we call the Great Commission today. You see, Israel went out anyway because of their grief. Because they probably were grieved in their hearts because they now, you know, were disobedient to God and all of that. And I want to submit to you that there's a parallel because Messiah, Jesus, also said there will be grief. Moses said that they should not now go anymore because they are God is not with them anymore. And similarly, Jesus said, while it is day, while you have me with you, while it is the season for the Great Commission, go and do these things because there's going to come a time where if you don't do it, if you just sit idle, if you just you don't take this opportunity in your hands, then there is, this season is going to pass you by and you will, similar to Israel, have grief. Just like Israel allowed this opportunity of entering the promised land to pass them by. If you do not take the opportunity of going and walking out the Great Commission, you will allow it to pass you by. Jesus said this in John 9 verse 3 when he was healing the blind man. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of the Lord might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. Right now, we are living in the season of it being day. And that what he is referring to is we have opportunity. This this commandment of going out and doing these crazy things that he told us we could do to bring freedom to this world and build God's kingdom. He this is the season for that. But this and this commandment can be fully kept and is fully applicable now more than ever. But there is going to come a season where it cannot will not be able to be kept anymore. 
And this is when tribulation increases to the point where it becomes almost impossible. And so it's going to be harder to 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 be able to preach the gospel the way we can today, because today we have in many countries of the world, very little persecution, very little restriction. We are able to reach many people. It's an amazing time. And but as the years go by, this time will grow shorter and shorter and it will become harder and harder until we reach the very end. Will it will be not only it will be inapplicable because when we reach the time of the fulfillment of the new covenant, that is when he has come back, we read that all will know God, all will know about the things that we are now supposed to be proclaiming. So there would be no reason for us to proclaim these things anymore. There will be no reason for us to heal the sick if all are healed. There will be no reason to raise the dead if there is no death. There will be no reason to proclaim the gospel if all know about what the gospel is. And so we are now living in a place where it's not that way, but we will enter a place where it is. Brothers and sisters, you need to think about this. Like we are living in a, in a, a time of honor, a time of honor that Moses and the, the Israelites did not have. They did not have the revelations we have. I have heard people say, oh, I wish I could be like Abraham. I wish I could be like Moses and the Israelites back then. I wish I am glad that I am not and that I am here because we have been entrusted with such an incredible opportunity that many do not see. We have been in, in, uh, uh, given a promise and a gift of the Holy Spirit that they did not have to that extent. Where me and you and everyone who, who are believers can go and do the works that Messiah did and that his disciples did. We can be the people who bring real freedom. We don't have to rely on some leader. We don't have to go through Moses. We don't have to do any of that. That has passed away. That is over. Thank goodness. Thank God it is over. Because now we can ourselves be partakers in bringing freedom and proclaiming his kingdom in a way with tools like spiritual gifts like that has never been able to be done before pre um, Acts 2 pre Holy Spirit being poured out. And I want to submit to you that just like Israel experienced great grief when they allowed the opportunity of entering the promised land to pass them by. There will be people who, when they enter this next life, if you will, the next big season of this place we are in, we will find people who have great grief because similar to Israel, they have let the opportunity pass them by. They may have been believers. They may have been Christians or whatever, but they did not obey what Jesus told them to do. They did not go into the world in boldness and fearlessness. And because of their faith in that God is the one doing it through them, instead they they may have gone and been, been a coward. They may have gone to, to bury what God has given them because of their fear. And there will be great grief and gnashing of teeth because of that. And I'm not saying they may not be they're not saved. That's all God. God is the the, the, the ultimate judge of all these things. But 
Nevertheless, there will be great grief if we allow opportunities like the one we are living in right now to pass us by. And brothers and sisters, I just remember, you know, uh, quite a few years ago, I was at a fellowship and I remember someone saying, but Petey, why are you telling us about these things? These things were only for the twelve. You know, these things were only for the 12 disciples, these instructions of going out and doing these wonderful things that was for them. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, they were soon thereafter in Luke chapter 10, we read about 72 others being sent out by Jesus. This is not the disciples. These are these is a this is a big group of people that he has gathered up, that he is now sending out to proclaim the truth in the same power that he gave his disciples. And oh, it's kind of similar. Another parallel right here, because it's kind of similar to the 72 elders which received the spirit with Moses. See, this 72 that Jesus sent out on Luke 10 received the spirit and they were sent out. And then we have also 72 elders receiving the spirit and being sent out to do God's will in that age and with Israel. We read about this in Luke 10, verse 1 and Numbers 11, verse 16. Luke 10, verse 1, and the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And then in Numbers 11, verse 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And yes, you may say, oh, but this is 70. This is not 72. But it is because when we read on in verse 26 of Numbers 11, there was actually two others who were not with the 70, but who remained in the camp, who received the spirit at the same time of the 70, making it a total of 72 who received the spirit there to do God's will. And then Moses, he's seeing these 72 people prophesying, right? And he's seeing these two people in the, or these 70 and then these two in the camp prophesying. And he is just, he's just so excited. But there's people who come to him and they tell him, Moses, there's this, these two in the camp prophesying. You should stop them. And Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? Verse 29, are you jealous for my sake with that all the Lord's people were prophets? That the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses is saying, I wish, I wish that all God's people had his spirit. Not just the 72 that's prophesying right now, but all of them. This is Moses, this prophet of God. He understands that God's people will never be fully equipped and ready to be God's people until all of them have his spirit. All of them are filled with his spirit. 
Moses knew it. We ought to understand it. Moses knew the importance, even though he didn't see it in his day. But we should see the importance because it has been done in our day. Because what it was Moses's desire has been fulfilled in Acts 2. You see, Jesus, this there is a pattern because Jesus sent out the 12, just like Israel sent out the 12 spies. And we see that Jesus then called the 72 to go out and preach the gospel in power with the Holy Spirit. And we see how Moses had the 72 filled with the Spirit. But with Moses, that's where it stopped. But with Jesus, that's not where it stopped because he took it a step further. God then came in Acts chapter 2. And he poured out his Holy Spirit upon all flesh so that all flesh would now be able to do the things that the 12 did, that the 72 did. These commandments of going and casting out demons, healing the sick, cleansing lepers, raising the dead, proclaiming the gospel, doing it free of charge because God is going to care for them. God calls all people now who are his to go and do these works. Because the spirit has now been given to us. And what a travesty, what a tragic event it would be if what Moses longed for that has now been fulfilled. The spirit being received goes unnoticed. What if we just read about it in our Bible, but it never happens in our lives? What a tragic event that would be. What a tragic event that all the labors of our Messiah dying on the cross so that the Holy Spirit can be poured out because that's what he said. I am going so that he can descend. What a tragic event if he died and, and we never ever walked in the instructions that he gave that the Holy Spirit has been sent to equip us to do. What if we just toss those instructions aside? Wouldn't that be the most tragic event in all of history? Because you need to understand that everything has been building up to this event of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Everything. This is like the 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 great event. And we are living in it. me and you. We are breathing in this time. And we have to take it, take a hand, take it hold. Because we don't want to be like Israel who grieved when they let the opportunity pass them by. So. In light of these instructions, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, casting out demons, teaching them, then discipling them in light of these instructions, brothers and sisters, when you hear it, you may be like I mentioned in the beginning of this very, you may be like, wow, this is I feel afraid of this. I, I, I don't know what to do with this. I, I, if you are in that place, then you're thinking of it in terms of how you should be doing this. And yes, there is this aspect of we need to step out. We need to go and actually be bold. We need to choose to be bold. But he gives us boldness. We need to just choose it. He gives us power. We need to choose it. He gives us all these things. We need to simply have faith and then he can do it and he will. But if we doubt him about, oh, well, does God heal today? Well, then you already you're doubting him. You're doubting in what he told you. Why would he tell you to heal the sick if, it's, if he doesn't want to heal the sick? Why would he tell you to cast out demons if, the, if you run the risk of being possessed by demons while trying to cast them out? Why would you uh, try? Why would he tell you to raise the dead if he doesn't want it done? You see, every I can take every single one of these things he told us to do, and I will, and we will find the lies in our age that Christianity, 
some parts of Christianity or wherever the world has taught us things against it. All the reasons of why not to. Why don't we start talking about the reasons why we should and stop making excuses and compromising what the true gospel is and what our walk is supposed to really look like. So when a sick person comes to you next time, are you going to be the one who brings a bad report? Oh, you have a giant in your life. I am so sorry. Game over for you. Or will you bring the good report? Will you be the one that holds on to the promises of God? Will you be the one that actually grasps the opportunity, opportunity to lay your hands on them and pray for them to see them recover? When you next time see a demon manifesting in a room and everyone is afraid, will you be the one that steps forward and and says, God, I thank you for this opportunity. I see a giant, but I see your promise greater. Your promise of deliverance that you're with me. See, brothers, what will you do when these opportunities are presented to you? I remember receiving a call about a week ago from a dear brother who had a friend who was in uh, a new age. And this friend has been a new age for a long time. And it's obviously uh, witchcraft. It's a horrible thing. And then through a sequence of events, this friend was manifesting a demon. New age believer. Right. Someone who's not a believer, who believes in witchcraft, starts manifesting a demon in front of him and a few others. And and they step forward and they cast out the demon. And that friend took a 180 turn just about overnight. Where there was now freedom and there was a turning to God. There was a repentance. All these great things. A 180 from witchcraft to the father. What if they were afraid of that demon? Oh no, this demon. What if this demon comes and attacks me or they would not see that, but they grasped the opportunity and they saw their dear friend be delivered from the ideologies when that spirit went and there was freedom, complete freedom. Can, can you just imagine like, like what we could do to this world? If we if we have the truth in us, but if we actually now said, okay, but I want to walk in the spirit too. I want to actually see these things happen. And we start praying prayers like God, when I enter the room, Lord, Lord, when I enter the Walmart, Lord, when I enter whatever place, I want to see the demons manifest because I entered the room. Why can't we start believing things like that? Because I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I've entered, walked into a church and then I see a demon start manifesting there because I walked in. Is it because of me? No, it's got nothing to do with me, but it's got everything to do with God. And the simple fact that I believe that that's what he does and that's who he is, a deliverer. See, if we simply believed these things, if we simply started having faith in the things I'm talking about, we would see these opportunities come more. Because why would God give you an opportunity if you never even believed that he, that he could give you a deliverance in that opportunity, if he could give you power in that opportunity? But if you start believing and having faith and having and to say, I will see the sick heal because that's who my God is. Well, maybe then God will bring more opportunity. 
And of course, this is not to say we shouldn't look for opportunity because we ought to. We ought to go and look for where is the lost? Where is the bondage? Let's go into those places like Messiah did himself. He walked in the midst of those and he, he was around those who were lost for the purpose of bringing freedom. He didn't just sit in his Bible study every Sabbath. Bible study is wonderful, but he was actually practical in his life. He applied what he studied. And that's what we ought to do. So, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you to be like Joshua and Caleb. I want you to be like those who brought the good report. I want you to be like those who said, I will believe God's promises. I don't care about these giants. God will deal with them. Because they fully, the, the scriptures say that the reason that they did what they did is because they fully served God. Not just in one way or another. They didn't compromise, but they fully served God. They were bold. They were fearless. They went ahead and they were faithful and eager to do his will. Will you be that? Because that's what God calls you to today. And when you start stepping forward and saying, here I am, I am a, I want to fight. I want to be this battle. I don't want to step back as like a coward. God will surely train you up and raise you to be a warrior that sees deliverance. Because this is not just something for the priests or the leaders, the elders anymore. Not just those 70, 72 elders of Moses. Had. Not just them. No, this is for you. This is for me. This is for all of us. In fact, it's not just for us. It's what we need to start walking in. So, sisters, pick up your cross, run after him and ask him to let these things manifest in your life and go forth and do them. I hope that this teaching has blessed you. Please consider sharing it with a friend and liking this video. And I want to say a special thank you to our partners and patrons who have made this video possible this month. Blessings and Shalom.